You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. I'm going to start by reading for us from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. And then I'll pray for us. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, or very truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. God, as we hear from your word, as we call back to the Reformation, Lord, we would ask this morning that your word would be seen to us clearly that it would be heard to us clearly, and that we would not take it for granted. Father God, specifically this morning, we ask that we would abide in Your Word. That we would hold fast to Jesus. Because it's in Him that we know that we are no longer slaves. But instead, we are instruments in the hands of good God who cares for us and loves us. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for Your Spirit. Without which, uh, we would have all wrecked not only our faith, but the whole church a long time ago. So God, again, we thank You for this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Our big idea for the morning is this. Jesus has set you free from slavery to sin and death to be used as His instrument of mercy. Jesus has set you free from slavery to sin and death so that He could use all of you as His instruments of mercy. This passage that we're faced with this morning in John chapter 8 is interesting. We haven't been in John's Gospel for, I don't know, probably a month and a half. When we were there last, we were hearing Jesus talk about Himself as the bread of life. And it all started with one big meal where He made food for everyone. And everyone just thought, yes, this is the kind of king that we need. He can guarantee food because somehow He just produces it right then and right there. 
Let's follow this guy. And so they did. They followed him across land and sea. But as Jesus continued to go and as Jesus continued to teach, they fell off one by one by ten by hundred, so on and so forth. And here, Jesus is speaking to the remnant that have continued to follow him. He's speaking to those that have actually believed, those that are trusting in him. And what does he say to them? If you abide in my word, my teachings, if you abide with me, you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And their response? Our father was Abraham. That is, we come from a proud people. We are a proud people that has never been enslaved by anyone. And right then and there, there should be some red flags that pop up for all of us, right? Really? You've never been enslaved to anyone? Even after, as we read um, when we were going through the book of Exodus and we went back to Genesis and it was prophesied, rather God spoke it to Abraham, that his family would in fact be slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And this is exactly what happened. And not only that, but what happened multiple times, really, God's people got picked up and carried away. Okay, maybe not technically into slavery. It was exile. They may have been slaves. They may have been the foreigner and the outsider that was looked down upon and treated poorly. But, but we weren't slaves. To which Jesus doesn't say, are you kidding me? You're ignoring history. No, he doesn't go there. He could go there. I went there. Where does Jesus go? He goes to their sin. Truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What happens to one of those slaves? Well, a slave doesn't stay in the house forever. A slave, they can get picked up and moved around. They don't stay in the father's house forever. But a son, a son does. So, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus is telling them right then and right there, if I set you free, you're not in slavery anymore. But the fact that we can't confess that we're in slavery, this is the problem. The fact that we just can't quite bring ourselves to speak the words that I am a slave to my sin, this is a problem. In our uh, church's uh, confession of faith, we read this in the third little section of it called the fall of man. We believe that mankind mankind was created in holiness, in God's image, and under the law of its creator. But we chose to turn away from God, His law, and His blessings. We fell from a holy and happy place or state, and consequently, thereafter, all mankind are now sinners by choice, and not by command. 
By nature, humans are now completely without the holiness required by the law of God and do not naturally desire what God requires. Instead, we are drawn to evil. We're slaves to it. We're slaves to our sin. That which goes against God and His desires for us. Because of this, we are justly condemned to eternal ruin with no defense or excuse in the face of God. So here's a question I would ask us this morning. It's going to sound like a challenge. So listen to it a couple times. Are you useful to God or are you used by Him? Are you useful to God or are you used by Him? Now's about the time when I should say, let me tell you, church, you want to be used by Him. Here's some opportunity for you to serve and do this, this, and this. No. (laughs) That's not where we're going with the text this morning. It's not where we're going when we're talking about ideas that are blessings to us that flow out of both Scripture and then the rediscovery of those things during the Reformation. So, are you someone that is useful to God? Let me just start here by saying, I want to be a useful person, right? Um, I hope that you want to be a useful person as well. I hope you don't want to be a useless person. Very few people say, yes, I think I would like to be a useless person. And yet, there's a lot of people doing it, right? <laughs> and so, and so, when we talk about being useful, there, there's two ways of talking about this. The first of which is just from a neighborly standpoint. Right? Can you be a useful person? Yes, you can be. Should you work to be? Yes, you should work to be. What does this mean for you? I don't know. It's going to be different for everybody. For some of us, um, maybe it is uh, growing in physical strength so that you can help a neighbor move something or so that you can get a neighbor out of a tough spot when they need their tire changed on the side of the road. Right? This is making yourself useful for a neighbor. In fact, on social media, I follow a a gym, and this is their big thing. They want to make you useful to the people around you. I think it's a noble thing. I think it's a good thing. But, is it a godly thing? Could be, right? Could be. When it comes to our salvation, however, that is not how we're caring for our neighbor, but our relationship between us and God. So often what we want to do is we want to make ourselves useful to God. And we want to say, now God, look, these are all the things that I can do for you. And I want to be your agent out in the world. Doing my will, which I will then give to you and call it good. Right? People do this all the time. And uh, may I say this is probably what many of us have done as well. Except for, we have bad news in there. And that is that your will or your abilities are tied down and enslaved to sin. And you need to be set free from that. And your growing in usefulness 
You're growing in order to try to understand God's will so that I can just step out and make some stabs in the dark and then hopefully God will be pleased by something that I do is all backwards. And it's not only uh, not getting you closer to God, it's actually driving the wedge of our slavery to sin deeper and deeper between us and God. So then the other way of looking at it is, uh, are you, so not being useful to God, right? But being used by Him. And this is where we want to go this morning. This is where we want to go this morning. Because what do we need in order to be separated from that sin and set free from that slavery? We need Jesus to do that for us. We need Jesus to do, to do that for us. But just so that we can get into a little bit of an understanding about how deep that sin goes, I'm going to just machine gun through some passages of Scripture. If you can't keep up, you can write down some numbers or you can put them down on your phone or whatever. But I want to just walk through some Scripture this morning so we can see how deep that bondage, that slavery is to our sin. So I'm going to start us off in Genesis chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention, note that, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Skipping ahead to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the, on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in His heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Why? For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Okay, but that's, that's pretty early on in the biblical witness, right? Or when David tells us that he was sinful in his conception and from when he was brought forward in birth. Or as Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or as the psalmist says, and Paul quotes a couple of times, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. They, there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have, been, they have become corrupt. There is no one that does good, not even one. Or Jesus Himself in Matthew chapter 15. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. That is, the heart is what defiles the person. And then Romans chapter 1. 
verses 18 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, that is the things that we we don't see about God, namely, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly understood ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For they, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, useless in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I'm not going to read the whole passage. Paul's going to go on to say there that so much so that we loved our sin beyond what we could even imagine and God gave us over to our sin. He said, you want to be enslaved to your sin so much? Have it. Have it. In Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to turn over there quick. Romans chapter 8, we read this. For those that live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, what? It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul continues like this, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. What is sin? It is death. It is separation from God. Again, Paul says in Colossians 2, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So, throughout the whole course of the Bible, we see these. We see the fact that we are sinful. That we are, in fact, enslaved to our sin. And that our sin is death. It separates us from God. But what about us, right? What about us Christians? I mean, we're pretty good people now. Right? Or, are we also still fleshly? Like Paul was saying there. Your mind, my mind, let's just be honest. It's still set on things of the flesh. Because we're not yet taken out of this world. We have not yet been reunited with our Savior in death and resurrection. And because of this, if you know Christ as your Savior... Yes, you are 100% saved. You are 100% justified and made right. You are 100% saint. 
And yet, unfortunately, you are also in this life 100% sinner. And you're right, math is not my strong subject. Okay, Math is not my strong subject. But I think God's math is all weird. It's weird like that. All right, so you can you can take my word for that one for right now. So much so that even um, I'm, I'm going to get uh, get a couple of my Martin Luther quotes for the day in right now. Okay, even though the works of man always seem to be beautiful and good, they are nevertheless demonstrably or visibly seen as deadly sins. The works of God thus always seem ugly and wicked. Nevertheless, they are truly eternal gain. It's been said before by many a theologian, and we can we could pull this up out of Scripture, but even as Christians, the best of your good works are, as Paul says, filthy rags. Said another way, the best of your good works are damnable sins. And so what do we do? If we're so bogged down and entrenched in and enslaved by our sin, what do we do? And this is what we found in the Reformation. We run to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, um, but there's lots of days that I can go through where you know I can turn on some music or I can turn on a show or I can pick up a book, or I could walk on the beach, or I could just stick my head down in my work, and I can forget about the reality that my heart is, is daily, daily needs to be put to death by God's law. And so because of that, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what comes next. Uh, Martin Luther, this is one of the things that drove the Reformation, is that Martin Luther, I'm not even going to say the German word because it'll probably come out as being profane from my lips, okay? But, but it's a, a deep angst and anxiety over what this, life, uh, what, the, what this life will turn into in the next life. And after being told his entire life that you just got to get a little bit better, You've got to do a little bit better. You have to do this work just a little bit differently and this work a little bit differently. Instead of believing everyone that was telling this around him, he opened up God's Word and he saw what he needed to do was to run to Christ and His cross and be forgiven of his sins. And there was the only place that he would find assurance that his sins were forgiven. Never in the works that he would do, good or bad. And yet, oftentimes we celebrate the cross so much that we forget that from a sinful perspective, from our sinful perspective, we can look at the cross and say, are these truly the works of God? That His Son would die and sacrifice Himself for our sin? And yet, from God's perspective, this is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that works to bring you back to Himself.
Martin Luther again in his uh, theses or a couple of big ideas that he laid out. Says this, actually, one should call the work of Christ um, an actively functioning work, and our work is a completed work. Uh, I'm not going to go into great depth on that. And thus, a completed work which is pleasing to God by the grace of Christ's active work. So, needless to say, here the work that we do is a completed work. It's already work that's been made good and right and righteous because of Jesus' work on the cross. And the work that he did on the cross is actively, even right here, right now, making you righteous. And then here's the big one that we want to hit on. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is lovable. The love of God does not find, but creates that which is lovable. The love of man is made up of those things which it loves. The truth is, we love our sin. And because of that, what we choose to love is usually sinful. Whereas Jesus, in you, when He looks at you, um, something that is utterly unlovable because of your sin, He does the work to make you lovable. He does the work to make you lovable. There was nothing righteous righteous in us, and so Jesus had to make us righteous. That's the big idea there. Okay. So, with all that said, um, here's where I want to leave off with this for today. For all of us, for everyone around us in the world who look around and want to say, well, I've never been a slave. Jesus would say to you, they would, he would say to all of us, it's not those that think that they're well that need a doctor. It's those that know that they are sick. Right? It's not those that think that they're free that need to be set free. It's those that know that they are slaves that need to be set free. And this is exactly what Jesus has done with His work for us on the cross. Romans 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That is, your body. To sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. It's in the midst of this passage that Paul is encouraging us to look at the law of God and to measure our life up against it. And to do good work. And to get out there and work to not sin. And put that sin behind you. And yet it's also in this passage where Paul is encouraging us to lean on the righteousness that we have because of Jesus. It's the only thing that's going to make that good work truly good. And it's the only thing that's going to make you a good instrument that is ready to be used by Jesus. And so... God does want to use you as an instrument for righteousness. In fact, 
He wants to use you as an instrument to play out every note to those around you that can tell them about the mercy that Christ has shown for them on the cross. The title of the sermon was Agents or Instruments. Now, I'll admit, I love a good James Bond movie, okay? I haven't seen the new one yet. I'm excited to one day. Um, And yet, uh, we see this in a James Bond movie or any sort of spy movie all the time, right? You're given a mission, and then you have a better idea. And so you go out on your own mission, and eventually it all works out, and the whole world gets saved. And it's all because of you as the individual that went out there and did what you knew was right instead of what you were told was the right thing to do. Right? This is how we treat God. We say, God, I see what you're doing here with Jesus. Instead, I've got a better plan. And I'm going to go out as your agent into this world. I'm going to make it all up as I go. And trust me, it's going to be a whole lot better. That's our slave selves speaking. Whereas we are called to be instruments of righteousness and mercy in the world around us. And the good news is, you do not have to do that perfectly. And you don't have to be a perfect person to be an instrument that is used by God. Because He makes you right and righteous. And even when we go out and we fail, we make a mistake, or we end up wallowing in our own sin... Jesus is there to pull us out and to remind us that even our best of works were sin before He saved us. And before His work is always and actively applied to what we do for those around us. Jesus has set you free from slavery to sin and death to be used as His instrument of mercy. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love You. We thank You again for Your Word this morning. And Lord, as we talk about sin, it can seem like such bad news. And yet, when You remind us that we are actually slaves to sin, and that You have set us free from that, it's good news. (laughs) It's good news because when we were constantly trying to work to make ourselves right and righteous and constantly failing, it seemed like there was nothing that we could do that was going to fix the situation. It seemed like there was nothing that we could do that could bring us closer to You. And so even though it's not the good news, it turns out to be good news for us that, oh wait, there's a reason why we're constantly going back to our sin. There's a reason why we're constantly going back to our slavery. And Lord, we are thankful for Your Son Jesus and His work on the cross for us. That we don't just get some good news that, oh yeah, there's a reason why I am the way that I am. But we get the good news that You're not going to leave us there. 
but instead You are going to make us brand new. You're going to recreate us. And that which was unlovely and unlovable, You have made lovely and lovable. God, we thank You for that. And we thank You for Your Son, Jesus. We pray all these things in His name, by Your Spirit. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.